live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about I did not win the Nobel Prize, and of course, taking listener questions about all things in the universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, that's right, it's a new time, and you can follow along or leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com, and in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about chasing the Nobel. But first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent of the stars and got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all things space, astronomy, astrophysics, rocketry. If it's above the Earth's atmosphere, it's in this show's universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at Space Radio show.com to get yourself on the air you can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world including but not limited to northwest indiana eureka california new zealand washington dc and howell new jersey oh man it's a new time so there's gonna be some new friends joining us i'm guessing the europeans aren't gonna stay up this late and i don't blame them but hopefully we can get more east coasters into the mix and we can have a good old space party. We'll take questions that you send to the live stream. Seriously, folks, I've prepped less than 10 minutes of show material tops. So get those questions in. Before I start taking questions, I want to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. And if you have been paying attention, you have found out that once again, the Nobel Prize Committee has failed to award me for my groundbreaking research and it awarded it to somebody else. Actually, they called me. They're like, Paul, we want to give you the Nobel again. And I'm like, guys, I'm too young. It's going to make the other physicists jealous. It's going to be a big scandal. So look, why don't you give it to whoever's next on your list? And then we'll talk again next year. And they said, Paul, you're so gracious and so kind. And just the love you have and support you have for the community, it's it's beyond, and honestly, we wish we could give you two Nobel Prizes at once. I said, well, well, give me a few more years, and we'll work on that. So, But the Nobel Prize went to three very, very deserving people. Uh, Jim Peebles got half of the award. Now, this is an interesting mix. It's an interesting mix. Half the award went to one person, Jim Peebles, a cosmologist, and then half the award went was shared between two people, uh, Michel Mayo and Didier Coelho, for work on exoplanets. So it's like, okay, like is it just astronomy grab bag today in, in the Nobel Prize Committee? And it kind of sort of is. It's like, okay, exoplanets are a thing. It's a giant topic now. And Mayo and Coelho, they were the first to find an exoplanet around a sun-like star back in 1994. And... Uh, they weren't the first exoplanet discoverers. That was actually happened back in 1991, but that was around a a pulsar or a white dwarf. It was around a dead star. It didn't really count, I guess. And what this team did is they developed the techniques 
that are still in use today to hunt for exoplanets. And they did found an exoplanet around a sun-like star. And that is just essentially a an entire branch of astronomy now and so yeah you gotta give the founders of a branch of astronomy their due and their due is a nobel prize the other half uh jim peebles a cosmologist jim is one of the people who through the decades like since the 1960s has always like shown up and done his homework and led so many incremental improvements of going from hey cosmology big bang idea the universe used to be smaller and hotter and denser isn't that pretty cool from an idea to an actual rigorous mathematically based physical theory that we now call modern cosmology. And so my particular field of study in cosmology owes a lot to Jim Peebles. I have his textbook on physical cosmology. I studied from that book. I've uh, cited his papers. I've worked with collaborators. Like uh, Jim is just a part of the fabric. So it's not necessarily one singular contribution from Jim Peoples, but a lifetime of contributions to this scientific discipline. And so it was the Nobel Prize this year went to really founders of modern branches of astronomy and physics. Uh, that's the latest and greatest when it comes to space. It's time to have a conversation. Remember to leave a voicemail or follow along, along live at spaceradioshow.com. We've got a voicemail question ready to go. Hey, Greg, why don't you play that tape? Hi, Paul. My name is Vinayak Sharma. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. I have a question for you. If a black hole is swallowing space-time itself into the singularity, then wouldn't there be a hypothetical situation where the whole of space-time itself goes into the billions and billions of black holes and uh, we could end up in a big crunch? Please let me know. Thanks. Oh, what a wonderful question, Vinayak. This is about black holes. It's about flowing of space-time into black holes. It's about the fate of the universe. It just weaves so many cool topics together. I'm so glad you asked. This uh, is a fun question to really sink into, not unlike sinking into a black hole. So the first thing to understand about black holes is that their gravity isn't anything different than the gravity of anything else. If I have a black hole and say it's the mass of the sun, all right, and I'm far away from it, then it's just like being around the sun gravitationally. I can orbit it. I can get close to it. I can get far from it. I could swap out the sun with a black hole with the exact same mass and the Earth's orbit would be completely undisturbed because it's just gravity. Mass is mass. Gravity is gravity. Now, black holes aren't as, you know, bright as the sun. And so, you know, all the plants would die. But, you know, that's just a mild technical detail. What we really care about is gravity. And even giant black holes, like the supermassive black holes that are billions of times the mass of the sun, 
These things are small compared to the size of, say, a galaxy. Yes, they're the single largest thing, like small compact object there is, but compared to a galaxy, like they're peanuts. They're less than 1% of the mass of a galaxy. So there's nothing really special about the gravity of a black hole. But this imagery of flowing into a black hole, of falling into a black hole, I use this imagery all the time and it's perfectly valid. You can envision the space-time around a black hole as flowing into it, like, like water flowing into a sinkhole. You can imagine that movement of space-time towards the singularity, towards the black hole. This is a perfectly valid way to describe the environment around a black hole, but it's the perfectly valid way to describe the environment around any gravitating object. You can imagine, say, space-time around the Earth or around a black hole as being bent, or you can imagine space-time flowing inwards. It's the exact same thing. General relativity allows you to have both descriptions. So yes, space-time does flow into a black hole. What makes a black hole special is that there's a certain point, a certain distance from the singularity where that flow of space-time goes above the speed of light, and so you can't escape. That doesn't happen with the Earth. Okay, space-time is flowing into a black hole, but that's only near a black hole. If you're far away from a black hole, if you're like a thousand light years away from a black hole, you're not flowing into it. The gravity due to a black hole way far away is basically zero. There's much more important things like Yes, there's a giant black hole in the center of the Milky Way galaxy and it's pulling space-time towards it, but my feet are staying here on the surface of the Earth because the Earth's gravity is so much more important to me than that black hole over there. So in the long-term ultimate future of the universe, not everything ends up in a black hole. Some material is simply able to escape never reach a black hole, never get close enough, the universe expands, the black holes get far away from each other, all the stuff gets far away from each other, and nothing really happens. Like, there, there will be in the far, far, far distant future of the universe a population of black holes, and there'll be a population of stuff outside of black holes, and they don't necessarily have to meet. So that's it. Don't stress out, folks about the giant black holes. They're not going to eat you, only in your nightmares. <laughs> I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can keep this show going. We're going to take a little break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to do some more questions because that's what this show is all about. Leave a voicemail. Join the conversation, spaceradioshow.com. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by following the live streams. 
check out spaceradioshow.com for the links. And speaking of live stream questions, man, have we got a ton as usual, which is so much fun. Leading the way tonight is Arnetta Davis on YouTube asking the latest discovery of another comet from outside the solar system. Yeah, this awesome comet that was discovered a few weeks ago, 21 Borisov is the name because guess what? This is so cool. An amateur astronomer spotted it. There's networks and armies of amateur astronomers all over the world. They're constantly asteroid hunting and comet hunting. This is a great tradition in astronomy going back centuries. And this tradition of amateur astronomy has reached a new milestone, giving us our second our second interstellar visitor, 21 Borisov. If you remember a couple of years ago, we caught Oumuamua, the first interstellar interloper. And I do believe I coined the term interstellar interloper. I'm willing to take a bet on that, that I was the first person to say that phrase. And you can thank me later. That's worthy of a Nobel, right? The one in literature. Yeah. For coining interstellar interloper. Anyway, 21 Borisov looks like a comet. And this is very interesting because Oumuamua looked super weird. It was kind of not sort of comedy and kind of sort not of asteroidy, and it was really long and elongated and it was tumbling and had a reddish color. It was just the weirdest thing possible looked unlike anything in our solar system. 21 Borisov looks like a comet. And we the only reason we know it came from outside the solar system is it's coming in on some weird janky angle with some extreme velocity where it couldn't have been born in our Oort cloud. It, it couldn't have been born anywhere near our solar system. It's just coming in way too fast, way too hot. Closest approach to the sun, it will be twice the distance that the earth is from the sun. It's blazing through it like 110,000 miles an hour, like it is going. But other than its speed and trajectory, it just looks like a comet. And so now we have two examples of interstellar interlopers. One looks super weird and one looks super normal. What are we supposed to make of this? I don't know. And we don't know. Only by looking for more of these will we have any indication of just how common these are, what they're made of, just anything, which is what makes it so fun. We're, we're opening up a brand new thing in astronomy, which is looking for the interstellar visitors just happening to pass through. And the more observations that we make, the more we'll learn, the more we'll understand this great picture. And so what a time to be alive. Speaking of being alive, Matthew DeFleury on YouTube is asking, what great mysteries of astronomy or physics do you think will be answered in our lifetimes? Dark energy, black holes, the works. <sighs> I hate to be a downer, but also sometimes I enjoy being a downer. I'll admit it. I'm not too optimistic about, say, cracking dark energy. Dark energy, this accelerated expansion of the universe. We only discovered it 20 years ago. It's a very subtle effect. We know it's there. We don't know how strong it is. We don't know if it's been varying over time. Our next generation of missions, which are going to take another 10 to 20 years to fully come online and get all the data sets, are just hoping to pin down 
our measurements of dark energy, like another factor of 10 to bring down the uncertainties. Will we learn anything? I don't know. Black holes, so we're certainly learning a lot, especially through the Event Horizon Telescope, especially through gravitational waves. But so far, all we're learning is everything we expected from general relativity. And so we're not learning anything new about the singularities, about what's happening in the center, about what's happening on the event horizon due to any quantum gravity effects. Like we're not, mm, we're learning, but we're just confirming what we already knew instead of learning new things. When it comes to the quest for quantum gravity, it's funny you asked, I just finished recording a massive podcast series on string theory. I don't think string theory is going anywhere anytime soon. That's just my opinion. What are the mysteries that are going to be revealed in our lifetimes? I hope we learn about dark energy. I hope we are able to unify physics. I hope we're able to understand more about the earliest moments of the universe or the centers of black holes. But these are tough problems. And tough problems, you don't know when you're going to crack it. And you don't know if you're even asking the right question. And astronomy and physics has been in this situation before. There have been problems in astronomy that have hung on for hundreds of years before being solved. And it turned out the answer was a radical reconception of our view of the universe. Maybe we're just in one of those in-between times. Maybe we're between revolutions. I don't know. Yamagishi-san on YouTube is asking, would one fall into a black hole or onto a black hole? Ooh, fun little question. I'm going to go ahead and go with both because it depends on the point of view. Remember in relativity, observers always disagree or don't have to agree. Different observers will have different accountings of events in relativity. This is just the way it is. And the black holes are the ultimate disagreement. You can fall into a black hole. You will pass through the event horizon. You won't even notice. I mean, there's the extreme gravity. Yes, but like no big deal. Just another day in space. But to an outside observer... You never quite fall in. You get closer and closer to the surface, to the event horizon. You get closer and closer. You get dimmer and dimmer. You get slower and slower. But you never actually quite make it through, according to the outside observer. And these two accounts couldn't be any more different, but they are both correct. Because the whole point of relativity is that what you count as like observations depend on your point of view and black holes separate two different points of view. So according to you, you do fall in, but according to someone else watching from outside, you fall onto. That is the answer. Wow. So many more questions. I wish I had more time as usual, but all we want is more time. But before we go, It's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. In the the physical sciences, the Nobel Prize has this 
ultimate status. And it's been like this for, for a century, over a century now, that it rewards us or supposed to reward the greatest thinkers, the greatest contributors, the people who have changed fields, the people that have opened up new fields, the people that have made one tremendous contribution or a lifetime of contributions. But it is limited, right? There's only one Nobel Prize. It can be shared by, you know, a limited number of people. There are major advances happening in science and in physics all the time. There's, imagine this, a lot of politics involved about who gets it, about who shouldn't get it. There's plenty of people that, by all rights, should have gotten the Nobel Prize for the work that they've done, but were snubbed, were ignored, were, were thrown under the bus, the whole deal. There is a certain culture in physics. Some physicists want the Nobel Prize and they try to like chase the Nobel Prize and they think, oh, if I just, you know, if I come up with the big result, then I will have the recognition of a Nobel Prize and I will go down in the history books. And this can push some scientists to not falsify their results because they know like if they fake stuff like that will be found out. But, you know, release things prematurely, to release things, uh, be overeager, overzealous, or, or draw lines in the sand. And this can be a dangerous thing. It's, it's an infectious mindset to think that we're not doing this, this whole science thing, just because it's fun and we're curious about the way the universe works. That we're doing this because we want to big, win big, some big prize and we got to get a free airplane ride to Stockholm. Do they fly them first class? I hope they fly the winners first class. That seems appropriate because that, that'd actually be very funny if they fly coach. And you get the gold medal and you get the mega bucks. It's, it's, it's almost like it's unrealistic to reduce physics and science to the winning of a prize. Is the Nobel ultimately beneficial? I suppose. It does bring about a lot of great recognition. It does reward, genuinely reward, good, solid work in, in the fields. Would we get along just fine without a Nobel? Yeah, I think so. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Visit patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for more info, links to the live stream locations, and the episode archive. You can follow me directly on all social channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, space cadets, for listening. See you next week, and remember... Science is for sharing and transmission.